NPR. Darian, do you have any postage stamps in your house? I have some in my wallet right now. Oh, yeah? What kind? Just getting some out. This one is a summer fun edition, so somebody's playing baseball. Which is very undarian. <laughs> Any kind of sports feels like an undarian choice. I have watched one baseball game in my life, and I have the stamp to prove it. When did you get those stamps, if I may ask? About a year ago. Okay, well, you have in your hands, my friend, a rapidly appreciating asset. <laughs> really? Congratulations, yeah. Forever Stamps, they started this year at 60 cents a pop. It was then raised to 63 cents. And then just over a week ago, the price was raised once again to 66 cents. That is a 10% gain in just half a year. All right. Uh, that's better than the, uh, the actual money in my wallet, <laughs> which, is, which is lost value to inflation. It's pretty good, right? I mean, it's pretty good for those who have stamps. But, you know, when I next need to buy stamps, that's, that's unfortunate. Womp womp. But seriously, though, Darian, when you take into account inflation... It actually costs less to send a letter today than it did 100 years ago. So no complaining then. And this is at least partly why the Postal Service has basically not turned a profit in the last decade and a half. This is The Indicator for Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. And I'm Darian Woods. There is a fascinating history behind the Postal Service's current economic woes. And so today on the show, we're going to get into it. And our guest explains how the U.S. mail went from being a public service to being a struggling quasi-business. This message comes from NPR sponsor E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at etrade.com slash NPR. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC. Member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP. Always designing for people. To get the backstory on the Postal Service, we reached out to Richard John. He's a preeminent postal nerd. He's the author of a book on the history of the postal system. And and, um, there there might be parts where uh, I might interrupt. That's fine. I teach at a journalism school, so I've I've seen how this goes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And, And Darian, we should mention that Richard is also a professor of history at Columbia University, where I actually took a history of journalism class with him. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that I did not immediately recall this fact when we first started talking. Yeah, I'm the guy who's giving that lecture and you're falling asleep. You don't remember anything. 2016. That's me. <laughs> There's, there was, I was there not was the best student, apparently. Richard says that the story of the U.S. Postal Service begins in 1792. The country is brand new, and the U.S. Constitution's ink is barely dry. And it has this line in it giving Congress the power to set up a postal system. 
And from the very start, Richard says they made a pretty interesting economic choice. Newspapers and other printed items carrying information of public import were charged at much lower rates than letters. So letters, in effect, subsidized everybody's newspapers. So from its inception, the U.S. postal system had this high-minded purpose to stitch together the young republic through information and communication. But you know, launching a high-minded continental information network in a rapidly expanding country turned out to be super freaking expensive. So to help out with that, Congress in the 1800s grants the post office department a monopoly over letters. Letter mail was the bulk of its revenue. And while some lawmakers opposed the idea of a monopoly, Richard says they came around in the end. The compromise in 1845 was that postal rates for letters were dropped significantly. It's kind of a carrot and stick. We'll make it much cheaper to send letters, but we will enforce the monopoly. Even with this monopoly power, though, the post office department still struggled to break even. Congress often had to appropriate taxpayer dollars to help keep it running. So if I'm understanding everything you're saying so far, for most of the Postal Service's life, it was understood as an operation that would probably lose money most years. But that's okay because it serves a very vital public function. I mean, do public schools lose money? It just, it just wasn't an issue. It was vital to the project of democracy, civilization, uh, socialization, commerce. But this attitude began to change around the 1960s. At the time, there was growing concern over patronage, which is basically local congressmen doling out post office jobs to their friends. There was also labor unrest, which culminated in a 1970 postal workers' strike. And this series of events helped spark in some politicians, a growing antipathy towards this nearly two-century-old bureaucracy. They thought, why can't the postal system operate more like a, like a business? If you asked that question in the 1880s, you asked it in the 1930s, lawmakers responded, no, it shouldn't be a business. It's more important than a business. The question, should the post office be more like a business, is a modern question. In 1970, a lot of lawmakers decided the answer should be yes, should be more like a business. They passed the Postal Reorganization Act. With it, the post office department became the Postal Service, and it had a new mandate to operate more like a self-sustaining business. Yeah, it can no longer depend on Congress to, you know, grease the wheels of the system with federal dollars. It would basically have to survive by selling stamps and other services. But this has become increasingly difficult over time. So, for instance, over the past couple decades, as more people started communicating and paying bills and getting news online, the volume of mail delivered by USPS has plummeted about 40%. That obviously took a huge chunk out of its revenue, and so did a 2006 law that Congress passed. This law required the Postal Service to pre-fund retirement health benefits for its employees, which was meant to be a sort of fiscal restraint on the agency and ended up costing billions of dollars a year. Now, the Postal Service has been trying to adapt. In recent years, a big part of its revenue stream comes from people buying stuff online. Federal Express, UPS are very big customers, post office, because the post office has access to what's called the last mile. 
The last mile being what logistics people call the trip between, say, a local Amazon warehouse and your front door. Now, it's worth mentioning, though, retailers like Amazon and Walmart are increasingly doing that last mile themselves. All of this, the legal constraints, the changing technology and competition, is why the Government Accountability Office says that the Postal Service is not financially sustainable. And it's also why you have some conservatives calling for the Postal Service to be privatized. Now, Richard says he understands the criticism. A lot of us have had the experience of waiting in long lines at the post office. Uh, And, you know, a lot of people have come to associate the U.S. mail with like getting junk mail every day. And it's true. According to the numbers, a little over half of the U.S. mail is marketing, you know, like flyers and catalogs. And that's a big source of the Postal Service's revenue. Be that as it may, Richard says for a lot of people and small businesses, the U.S. mail is really the only option. If you look at the real world, then you discover that there is a rationale for this remarkable institution. When you get into the hinterland, post offices disproportionately important. Not everyone lives in New York or Washington, D.C. Some people live in Wyoming or Missouri or Alaska. And there aren't, like, FedExes sprouting up uh, in rural Alaska. If you only had FedEx, can you imagine how much it would cost? It's a business. Post office isn't. So how does the Postal Service become more financially sustainable? Well, Congress recently eliminated the requirement for pre-funding health care retirement benefits, so that will help its bottom line. On paper, sure. One could also argue it's kicking the can down the road. That's true. Uh, But the agency is also investing in new equipment. You know, think uh, mail processing machines and electric vehicles, stuff that is supposed to save it money in the long run. And then you have the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, who says maybe the post office could do other things, like, for instance, make them like mini fulfillment centers so they can offer same-day delivery just like Amazon. Now, Richard, for his part, he kind of likes the idea of adding banking services back to local post offices, which used to be a thing for a lot of the 20th century. And regardless of what happens, it's clear that Americans love the Postal Service. In a recent Pew survey, 77% of Americans had a favorable view of it. You know, among federal agencies, that's second only to the National Park Service. This episode was produced by Julia Ritchie with engineering by Neil Rauch. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. VLA is our senior producer. Cake and Cannon edits the show. And the Indicator's a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, American Express. Take your business further with the smart and flexible Amex Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits that help unlock more value from your business purchases. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day.